Hello listeners, this is Garden Pod, PSI's only podcast where we focus on ideas and actions centered around a more ecocentric future for all. Today we are joined by Jimmy Costello, currently serving as the Education and Outreach Coordinator for the LES Ecology Center. For those of you unfamiliar, the LES Ecology Center is a pioneer for community-based models that aims to teach and accommodate environmental needs for the Lower East Side neighborhood of NYC. They are a huge inspiration for the club as they do tons of great events, workshops, and collections for various wastes. Definitely check them out if you're ever planning to be in the area or are interested in getting more involved. Thank you so much for joining us today. To, to begin, um, how did you find and become involved with the LES Ecology Center? Hey everyone, this is Jimmy from the Ecology Center. Uh, thanks for having me on, this is really fun. Um, I originally got connected with the Ecology Center kind of at a, a pivotal point in my career path where I was actually studying photography um, in high school. I had you know, shot many weddings, I had made multiple zines and photo books, I was doing editorial work. Um, or kind of editorial style work, and I was just very great into photo. I was actually at FIT for all of uh, one year um, before I realized that it was just not a good career path for me. So I had heard about composting, and I always kind of knew that I was interested in sustainability work, um, but I really had no idea where to start, and I truly, truly knew nothing. When I say nothing, I mean look at this point about <laughs> composting or even sustainability in general. So. I just reached out to the Ecology Center's info at um, email address, just a general email address, and I said, hey, I'm this photo student, but I think I'm going to change my degree and go to a different college um, regarding sustainability. Could I do some type of internship with you? I, I have a little bit of time. Um, and it was a great collaboration because at the time they needed photos to be um, you know, submitted every month to the Department of Sanitation and they were willing to take on an, an intern. So it was a really nice collaboration um, and my manager at the time is now my full-time manager and the people who brought me on are still with the organization. So the Ecology Center really just inspired me, um, truly, truly made me look so differently at the world around me, look at it with a lot more potential and a lot more hope. Um, and it, it's wonderful to be back here full-time. It really feels like a full-circle moment, especially because in my work now, I do a lot of public-facing education and outreach, and I see myself having that same impact of giving hope and giving actionable things that people can do um, to the public. So it really feels very full-circle. Oh, that's awesome. Were you taking photos of any sort of environmental things, or was it just a complete 180 for you? Um, it was pretty 180. Yeah, my photo work was not specific to environmentalism or stewardship or sustainability. Um, people often like suggested that, but I don't know, they just felt like two separate parts of me. So I never really put them together. Sure. So um, for today, like what you're doing with the center now, what would a typical day sort of look like for you? Or is it just so different depending on what's needed? Yeah, um, it is so different. Uh, but I would say the kind of the two main categories that take the majority of my time are either our master composter certificate course, which is probably about, I would say 70% of my time. And then I would say another 20% of my time is put towards our technical assistance program, where we mentor 
community compost sites in uh, recruiting more volunteers, in getting better funding, in other best management practices, and then 10% of my work is just kind of, you know, making sure that everything runs smoothly around the office and whatever other kind of tasks come up. Um, so the majority of my time, like I said, is with the Master Composter Certificate course. Um, wonderful, wonderful work that I really enjoy. We offer uh, we offer field trips, volunteer opportunities, and workshops. So the expectation for a Master Composter trainee, which we call them MC2Bs because they're in training, um, is that they would have one year to complete 30 hours of compost-related volunteer work. Uh, they would complete two field trips, and then they would take seven workshops. So we are putting on all of those all the time. And really a lot of my work is just preparing such that come the day of the event, all of the tasks are laid out, all of the partners that we collaborate with are ready to go, all of our content is very clear, um, we have a clean, good workshop space, we have tasks that are valuable and educational, and we have enough tasks. Right, so really a lot of my job is having the foresight to say, okay, there's going to be only two hours with these people, how do we make sure it's totally seamless or a really valuable time for them? That's great. I always think it's so nice to see, you know, people of all ages being able to go back to school, get education about things that they really care about. Um, I feel like a lot of stuff at pay on my school, it's like we have all these specific curriculums we have to hit. Um, so it's really cool that you get to choose exactly what you're learning. So in your opinion, what has been your favorite event that the center has put on while you've been there? Are there reoccurring events that um, maybe college students can attend? Yeah, I would say my all-time favorite event is also one that people can join. Um, we usually, not always, but usually put on a pumpkin smash in the fall. So that happens right after Halloween, and essentially the idea is that, you know, after you make your jack-o'-lanterns towards the end of October, come early November, you need to get rid of them, and they're pretty big material. So rather than sending them to landfill, obviously we want to accomplish them and we want to do so locally. Um, and, you know, getting a little bit more specific into our work, you know, if everyone brought their big, empty jack-o'-lanterns to our food scrap collection site, they would fill up our bins really quickly. So part of the kind of like marketing or part of the value of this, of the pumpkin smash is that people will break down the material, chopping it up, so it doesn't take up as much uh, space in the in the collection bins. Um, but that being said, you know it's gone to it's grown to be so much more than that. So it's really a very welcoming and very lively event. Last year we had over 200 attendees. We collaborated with La Plaza, which is located in the East Village, and we are officially collaborating with them again. So this year that's going to be on Sunday, November 6th. Um, last year, my colleague Kyleen led the event, and this year I will be leading. So we're really looking forward to that. We offer free food, free drink. Last year, I was like frantically cooking up these uh, zero waste muffins, where I made a pumpkin puree rather than throwing the pumpkin away. Oh, wow. I made a puree using that, and then put that into a lot of the food. So we also had demonstrations of things like that. We bring our worm bin, and then of course we have the big event, which is the actual smashing of the pumpkins. So that's really fun that people love to, you know, when's the last time you got to use a baseball bat right. to break something up <laughs> in the middle of New York City? Um, oh, so it's, it's one of the most fun events. We also get a ton of support from our master composter trainees who are a wonderful 
and passionate group of people that we just love to work with. Um, so we get all different types of attendees, people who come every year, and there are also people who are just walking by and they're like, why is this garden so alive? Why are there so many people here? Um, so we love that event and it is coming up soon. So I hope to see you there. Oh, absolutely. And we've done some marketing for um, the composting um on our Instagram because it's something that I think is so cool and I can definitely say um, thank you for the center for doing this because I think we can all appreciate not having to smell like rotting pumpkins on our commute on the street like in the trash areas. Um, So given that most of our listeners are of college age and living in smaller dorms or apartments, um, what do you think the easiest way to start composting could be for a beginner that might be a little bit more nervous, they don't want to bother their roommates or create like a smell or anything? That is such a good question, and I actually started when I was a freshman in college as well um, in that tiny FIT dorm room, so I know the deal. Um, I will say, I'll start with this, if you have access to a fridge or a freezer, um, maybe you're like an upper class, you have one of the nicer dorms, putting your food scraps into the freezer, that is like far and away my number one recommendation for you, is to keep the material frozen. It makes a world of difference. Um, when the material is frozen, it essentially does not break down because any of the microbes that would break down the material and make, sorry, and make it smell, they're just, they can't live in such cold temperatures. So that's my first recommendation is always to freeze it. Other than that, if you don't have access to a freezer, um, another good tip to avoid any smells would be to keep the material kind of dried out. So one way that you can do that is put some kind of dry material, like for example, newspaper might be good, shredded up Trader Joe's type bags or those brown paper bags, um, or even like if you have access to leaves. Although New Yorkers are generally scrambling to get leaves, we don't have access to them. That's another way that you can make the material stays dry. Um, and then that will make the experience when you go to drop off a little bit more tidy. That's great. Yeah, I I personally just started composting um, recently since all of the new compost bins have been put up. So this this invaluable advice. Thank you. Um, So I noticed on your website you had some other courses offered, and I know that you deal mostly with the master composting certificate, but um, could you give any sort of general breakdown of like what those courses are and maybe how people could get involved in that? Sure, yeah, so we do have four main program areas at the Ecology Center. I am mostly involved in the compost team where we do outreach and education. We have our technical assistance program and we also offer free public food scrap collection. But we also have e-waste collection where previously we had a large electronic warehouse. Um, Today we've collected over 10 million pounds of electronic waste and recycled it, keeping it out of landfill, which we're very proud of. so those now look more like a pop-up event where we no longer have access to that space so people can't drop off, but we have ongoing uh, collaborations with local politicians, community groups, block associations to put on e-waste collection events for local neighbors. So that's one way that someone could get involved. And then in terms of education, we also have a stewardship kind of line or program area. We recently hired a full-time staff person to see that work or uh, a newer staff person to expand that offering. So a lot of that work is welcoming in corporate volunteer groups, you know, kind of like a team building. But we also do have gates that are open to the public. 
Right now, those are mostly happening in Tompkins Square Park, previously in East River Park, but mostly right now in Tompkins Square Park, as well as doing some street tree care. Um, and working with Cheyenne, my colleague, is really great. She is very, very knowledgeable about plant health and about placements and about invasives versus natives and the relationship between the two as they fit into ecology and the, the larger sense. Um, and she also has some really inspirational things to say about stewardship and the importance of stewarding and taking care of open green space. So we actually just put up a couple more listings for those free and public stewardship days. And then lastly, we do have an environmental education um, staff. We do have that program area as well. Those programs are not always open to the public. Um, we have a food justice curriculum that we present in collaboration with Henry Street Settlement, um, but that is generally geared more towards the youth and towards seniors. But within the environmental education program, we always offer a summer workshop series where staff are invited to just do something that they think is interesting or creative and educational to the public about ecology and um, kind of whatever they think is at the cusp of the sustainability conversation. So it might be about community building, it might be about a new material, it might be about cooking with food scraps. Um, so that's kind of just like these pop-up style events as our capacity allows. And those are generally very creative. They're oftentimes like one-off or just something that a staff member is excited about in the moment. So those are really fun. Um, yeah, and those are, that's kind of the general, that's the general offering that we have. That's awesome. I love that y'all's curriculum stays like updated because I feel like with environmentalism, things are constantly coming out, like the debates of whether certain materials are as harmful as they are. Um, so it's really great that y'all make sure to like keep it updated and modern with the times. Um, sort of a more, ran not random, but personal question. I live local to the Seward Park and I was wondering, There's I always see so many things happening in that big garden bed. I was wondering if you knew like, um, what was going on there or like what that space is used for? I've always just been kind of curious. Yeah, so we actually have a special relationship with Seward Park because while we are temporarily relocated from the East River Park due to the East Side Coastal Resiliency Project, we have set up our office in the Seward Park Park House. Uh, we don't have a ton of signage because it is so high publicity, such a like high traffic space. We don't want to welcome in a ton of folks to um, interrupt our workplace, but we do have a small kind of DIY office set up there. And obviously with time, we have also become collaborators with the Steward Park Conservancy, which is a group that works to steward and essentially better Steward Park so it can be a clean and well-functioning place. Um, so they have just one part-time staff person there who's a real pleasure to work with. And uh, it's actually a great time that you're asking about this because just earlier this month, I put on a Master Composter volunteer activity with the Seward Park Conservancy. We delivered some compost for them, and then we had about 20 Master Composter trainees applying compost to about 45 new plantings, <coughs> no, 45 new plantings throughout the park. So you were asking specifically about some of the plantings that they have. And essentially, from what I understand, and I don't mean to speak on their behalf, but what I understand is that they're really trying to make Seward be more of a premier destination for native plantings. 
Um, and there is one bed in particular where they have like a native pollinator garden where it's not open to the public. It's gated off, or like there's a small fence that you could not step in, and it's just full, absolutely full of different types of natives that have been planted by the staff there. So they flower and they're absolutely gorgeous, um, but they're also valuable in that they provide a place for pollinators to really thrive, especially when you have a nice, uh, you know, medium-sized green space like that with a high density of valuable plantings. It can really become a haven for any of the pollinators and other native species that would um, normally be lost in, you know, typical cityscape. Sure, that's that's great. I I love that park so much, and I especially love always seeing the changes. I, they're always within season. There's always something to look at. So, I love that the ecology center is really involved in that. Um, so, since you are an environmental professional, um, I was wondering, and feel free to bypass this question if you'd like. But um, I was wondering if you've noticed any particular um, issues or things that personal goals you have with ecological practices within the city, like things that you think there should be more of. Um, things that we're not seeing enough of, um, things like that, that the city could be assisting us with? Um, I don't think I'll talk about, you know, what the city government could or could not do, but I don't mean, oh my God, the question is, it's like, how many ways do you skin a cat, you know? Sure. Um, speak a little bit about my experience and the things that are like top of mind for me right now. And honestly, there's a lot to celebrate in New York. Obviously, we do have a ways to go. Um, but one thing that really should be celebrated is Local Law 97, which has to do with benchmarking and um, building emissions. So I previously worked at Stephen Winter Associates. I had a wonderful, wonderful experience working with their building operations, decarbonization, and efficiency team. Um, I'm happy to connect you with them. They are wonderful people doing really valuable work. And that is such an interesting career trajectory for someone who is interested in urban sustainability specifically, because really when you think about what does New York City have more than anything, we have buildings, we have built whatever. We have different structures, and many of them in New York are very, very old. So a lot of what the engineers that I was supporting were doing was retrofitting those buildings such that they could heat and cool themselves and have the air stay where it's supposed to in ways that were more sustainable. In particular, electrification uh, is a massive, massive growth area. So I could go on and on about that, but I think Local Law 97 is really something to be celebrated. And the there is actually a decent amount of funding and political attention going towards building and built environment sustainability in New York, which is great and we should continue to applaud that. Um, and then of course, I'm very, very happy to see the rollout of curbside composting all throughout New York City over the next, I believe, 18 months. Um, actually, today is the 28th and in just four days, we'll have a curbside composting service for all New Yorkers, or sorry, for all Brooklyn residents, which is very exciting. Um, and I'm just happy to say that I'm able to educate the public about community-scale composting, and there is a small but mighty team really doing their best um, at Big Reuse with support from the Department of Sanitation via the New York City Compost Project to get the word out about that such that those bins are used in a way that's valuable, such that the bins actually get delivered, and in particular, um, one roadblock or one growth area is working with supers of large buildings because they're kind of like the one person 
who can control many people's access to convenient composting in New York. Right. Um, and then, you know, one more growth area that I'm thinking about, especially since my time with the Ecology Center, is, you know, the Ecology Center has really positioned itself as being at the front line, being a vanguard of waste. And I really am very proud to be with the center for that reason. And one of the things that I'm really thinking about now is, okay, so now that curbside composting is rolling out, what would be the next service that the Department of Sanitation would offer? What would be the next service that people would demand? Um, and I don't have an answer for you, but I am interested to see, you know, a couple of things come to mind. A, in other states, there is more specific recycling streams. Um, in other countries, there's even up to 16 different material types that the general public is educated about, such that recycling haulers can receive the material and it can be much more clean. Whereas right now, we just have essentially a four-stream system where you have organics, landfill, paper material, and then your GMP, your glass, metal, and plastic. Um, so that would be exciting to see the GMP and the paper get divvied up a little bit more. Or I wonder if the city will offer more recycling opportunities for electronic waste. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about right now for the future of the of New York City big picture. That's amazing. I love that, like, it's so motivational as a student to see that the environmental professionals in the city are, like, they really care for us and they want to continue to, like, push the boundaries of what we can do. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely interested in the title you were talking about. I always love highlighting different environmental jobs and sectors that people maybe weren't thinking of originally that they can sort of look into, like, as a postgrad option. Um, so kind of on that same note, um, but on a more local level, are there any things that you think people like me and other students, like just on the human level, what we can do um, that maybe we're not thinking of doing other than, you know, composting and shortening showers, things like that? Hello? Did I lose you? Hey, sorry. I just, um, someone else was calling me and I was struggling with Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, all right, so your question is, besides some of the common tactics that people know about, um, you know, like, oh, yeah, you should eat, like, a vegetarian diet or you should, like, bike to work, right? Like, these, like, common individual tactics that we hear a lot what could a student or like an average person do that would be of value? That's your question. Yes. I think two things come to mind. The first one is a little bit less fun. So I'll do it first, which is honestly, and I know it seems so silly, but just calling your elected officials Truly, truly, those are the people that actually make things happen within the city or even at the national level. And I, I have a lot of thoughts and opinions about, you know, things like protests or like individual versus big picture changes. But one of the things that I've seen, especially since transitioning from being a student to being a full-time professional about almost three, just over three years ago now, um, is that people in office really, really have access to funding that makes 
a very real change, and they're just one person, so they and their staff literally do not have the time to fully investigate all of the different topics that are of value. You know, like, there are so many ways to improve the world, and these politicians, many of them, truly want to do that, um, but they quite literally cannot, it's impossible to become an expert in all of the many ways that we can make our neighborhood or our city or our nation a better place. So just being in contact with them, especially if like, let's say you're listening to this podcast and you're really excited or you're taking classes in this and you you have some level of expertise, right? Maybe you're just an undergrad student, but like you know, you know a thing or two. You've taken multiple classes, you've done your readings, you've connected with other people, you've had the conversations, you have ideas. You, in a lot of ways, have expertise that is valuable to an elected official, so they actually can benefit from hearing from you. It is not just you're calling them because you want something done. You, you calling them is almost an act of service to them and to all of your neighbors because you're speaking up and saying, this is something that I know is pressing and these are some of the solutions that I know about. I really want to see more action around ABCD issue. And it doesn't even have to be specific to environmentalism. This can be any type of issue that's actionable. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. I know it's um, far from glamorous. And then the other one that I think I've, I've been considering a lot recently, especially as someone, you know, I have outreach in my job title. So what does it mean to really get the word out about, especially with like, for example, curbside composting? I mean, the amount of behavioral change that will be necessary for curbside composting rollout to be successful is immense. Immense might even be like a two week of a word to describe how much education and outreach will be necessary in order for people to you know, compost all throughout New York or whatever other behavioral change is necessary. So I would say A, making the conversation fun and joyful and valuable for yourself is the first step. Um, and I'll, you know, I can share for me, like there is a lot of frustration and a lot of people who come to this work, they want to see things better because they know that they should be. And there's like a motivation that comes from anger a lot of times, right? Like I feel so frustrated that things are moving so slow. We're like, I know that our world could be so much better. Um, but I'll say, A, if you want to stay in this work, you have to find a way to make the work more enjoyable. Um, one of my favorite readings was called Footprints of Delight from my undergrad. I forget who wrote it, but it was essentially indicating that the environmental movement can't be based on anger and frustration and guilt. It has to be based on joy and convenience, and then that's how we can actually change our culture. Um, and I still think about that reading literally all the time, especially in this job. Um, so anyways, find warmth, find, find joy, find pleasure, find hope within yourself, whatever that looks like, and then share that with other people. Um, and really start the conversation, and start the conversation in a way that feels enjoyable, that feels aspirational, that feels exciting, not in a way that feels like, well, you, you know, for example, you put your apple core in the landfill bin, and I'm judging you for that. More so, like, it would be so great if we could make this convenient for us, right? Like, it would be so great if we all knew about this. So, um, uh, yeah, I guess what I mean to say here is that there will never be enough staff, there will never be enough trained professionals to educate every single person um, and meet them where they, at, where they are at, but 
their friends, their neighbors, their community members from the block associations or from the church or from the gym, when those people care about environmentalism and they care about creating a regenerative future, and they're also a good, warm person that you enjoy being around, that is a way that, like, environmental, and I'm sorry to ramble here, but environmentalism and people who care about it often get written off as being extremists or as being, like, frustrated or, like, they get a bad rap in that way. And really, when you create that warmth, when you have a nice neutral tone within yourself, you can meet your neighbors, your friends, your cousins, where they're at. And then that is a much more welcoming way to create big picture change. Wow, I wholeheartedly agree. I think you have such a refreshing perspective that I think a lot of you know, students and even professors, we can get so passionate and dis- discussing and debating. And sometimes the, the, the truth is that we just have to think more solution-based rather than what are the problems and how much can, you can only talk about a problem for so long. So that's, that's amazing. Thank you. Um, I won't keep you too long. We just, we always ask our guests um, to let us know their fa- their favorite resources to keep them updated with what's going on in the environmental sector. Um, I know you mentioned a reading. If you wanted to like highlight that again, um, do you have any favorite books, podcasts, shows, movies, anything like that that you'd like to share with us today? Sure. Yeah. So again, I want to call out that reading, Footprints of Delight. Really great. Um, I want to call out the Master Composter program because that program was inspirational to me. Um, oh my god, it, there's like so many come to mind. Um, I want to also call out the True Zero Waste program. I think it's really interesting. I think there's a lot of potential for that program to grow. It's put on by the U.S. Green Building Council. Um, and then lastly, if you're looking for work, I want to recommend that you try the, I believe it's called Green Jobs Board. Um, Yes, they're on Instagram. They have kind of like a cool brand. You know, they have like nice graphics. And that's just a good, wow, that's a good way to find work. I think that they're very popular. So I'm sure that a lot of the, um, a lot of the jobs receive a lot of applications. And then I guess like not a resource, but a tactic. I just want to say that for me, doing informational interviews with people that I look up to was absolutely vital to me landing both of my full-time jobs and also just it was such a humane way to go about my career as someone who was transitioning from being a student to looking to, you know, find a full-time salary position, which is not easy. Um, so I just want to say, if you, if someone catches your eye, just reach out to them. It, and really, people love to talk about themselves, as you probably can tell from me talking about myself and my work. Um, and it's also very flattering to receive an inquiry as an individual about your career trajectory. So I found that my success rate doing informational interviews was really high. Um, and like I said, it was a very enjoyable way to get connected with people and to learn more. It didn't feel like networking. It felt like having a conversation and really getting to know someone. It wasn't just like this high level, like quick networking and exchange of business cards. It was like, I was actually really learning from them. So I just really want to encourage a specific resource, but I just used LinkedIn a lot when I was graduating um, and reaching out for informational interviews was really enjoyable and ended up being very rewarding. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Yeah, I think that's definitely what the goal of this podcast has been for us and our members has been to just like 
Yeah, exactly what you say, you know, reach out to people that inspire you. And the LES Ecology Center has been something that I, you know, found locally just living here. And I've just been kind of watching it from afar. And I'm, I'm so happy that I got the chance to speak with you today. Um, I know you're very busy, so I will let you run. But I just want to say one quick thank you from me and PSI uh, for doing this interview and talking with us today. Yeah, thank you so much, Brooklyn. Um, it, it's really nice to be taken back a couple years in time. Um, I was in your shoes not that long ago, um, and there definitely is a, a growing number of jobs and a growing number of networks. Um, so it's a really exciting time to be in the field, and it is very, very rewarding work. So thanks again for talking with me. Oh, thanks again. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.